Thank you, Derwood. Let's open our Bibles to Galatians once again. And while we're on the way there, I just want to take a moment and thank Elijah and Micah and Charlie Jones and Mr. Moss, who's our neighbor. Uh, they worked this week to take out the hedges um, that were along the parking lot of the building next door. Uh, because when we moved the house, the Historic Commission said, well, you have to put up a fence. And the only we had to put up a fence where the hedges were, and in order to put up a fence, we had to take the hedges down. You know, it makes perfect sense. Okay, so, um, so and, and Jeff Park, who brought his trailer over twice, so we hauled out about 3,000 pounds worth of hedges uh, out of there. They were pretty thick. Um, and uh, I would just want to thank them for their efforts and their work in the hot and the rain. Um, so the backyard looks very different. If you haven't seen it recently, um, you know, just take some time to walk out there and look at the backyard and see the changes that are coming. This is basically phase one of the changes for the backyard uh, that will happen over the course of several years. Um, you know, whenever we have enough money, we'll do another phase. Okay? So if you're able, would you stand with me for Galatians chapter 5? I'll read Galatians chapter 5 and begin in verse 22. So, Heavenly Father, come upon us today, we pray, that our hearts might be open to the things of your word, that your spirit would lead us and, and, and inform us and shape and mold us so that our lives might reflect your grace and mercy as we live out this fruit, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Goodness. My goodness. No, no, not my goodness, but goodness. Now, uh, if you've been here long enough and you remember Ted Gartrell, who was here for 30 years, he was affectionately known as, what, the big G, and G is for goodness, okay? Now, that, that's really a hard, hard path to follow in. Okay, when somebody who's here before you is known as the big goodness himself, uh, you know. Um, but if you knew Ted, that was reflected in his life, okay? Now, I've got some comments here and some quotes from people about good and about evil. Tolstoy said, wrong does not cease to be wrong because the majority share in it. Augustine says, right is right even if no one is doing it. Wrong is wrong even if everyone is doing it. Patrick Henry said, the eternal difference between right and wrong does not fluctuate, it is immutable. And C.S. Lewis wrote, an open mind in questions that are not ultimate is useful, but an open mind about the ultimate foundations, either of theoretical or of practical reason, is idiocy. If a man's mind is open on these things, let his mouth at least be shut. Okay? So when it comes to what is good... And what is not good, what is right and what is not right. Uh, as an example, 
these things don't seem to change. Well, if they don't change, why don't they? Because they are defined for us by the very source of what is good, and that is God. And we'll see this laid out for us as we chew on what this word goodness means. Now, there is a wide and inexact application of the word good within our society. We use it so frequently that uh, we, we say almost without thinking, I can define something as good. Oh, that was good. And or you, let's turn it around. You might come and say, aren't these sweet potatoes good? And I'm going to say, no, they're not good. Okay. And because I don't like sweet potatoes, but it is a it's kind of a, a, a subjective measurement there. What you might think is good, I don't like good. What I might think is good, you might think is only fair. Or somebody else might come along and say, no, that's excellent. Okay, that is excellent. Good has implications of some degree of excellence, but what precisely is that degree is really determined often by our own likes and dislikes. Don't like sweet potatoes, so I don't think they're good. You love sweet potatoes, and you can't imagine, because you've never tried mine. I can't tell you how many people have said that to me. And, and I try to say it very nicely, well, I don't want to try yours. <laughs> and I appreciate that, because there are things that I like. Fried bologna? Does anybody like fried bologna? Okay, oh yeah, okay, well, that, maybe that was the wrong thing to choose. Okay, okay. But good is used in a variety of ways. Let me give you some other examples of the way we use good to indicate competence. Somebody is good at math. Reliability, my brakes are good. Strength, he's got good eyesight. Kindness, it was good of you to come. Moral excellence, good deeds, good works. Um, behavior, my ch- your children are, are good children. Okay. Enjoyment, oh, that was a good party. Thoroughness, he gave the car a good wash. Immensity in number, well, a good many people were there. Um, uh, 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 I'm sorry, beneficial things, I'm sorry, milk is good for you, okay, milk is good for you. Uh, soundness, a good reason, expedience, uh, I, thought that, I thought it good to have a try at it. Uh, freshness, is the meat still good? Well, if it's not green, we can still eat it, right? Okay. Worthiness. Old Randy is a good old guy. Attractiveness. He has good legs. Moral rightness. He did it for, I did it for your own good. A promise, good news. A desirable end, sacrificing the present for the future good, or something in favor, he received a good review. Something like that. So we see just some, some broad application of the word good. Now, in terms of ethnic ethics or morality, good has been uh, manipulated to sometimes meaning not much more than amiable. It's applied to all sorts of traits, all sorts of characters, characteristics. You may call somebody a good guy when in reality they are not very nice. They are not very nice. Good is carelessly applied to charming, to physically attractive people. I mean, it's... it's uh, the, the more physically attractive people are, the more benefit of the doubt that they get. That's just kind of the way studies show. Um, you may think somebody is a good entertainer, and I would think, well, uh, they call that dancing? You know, it, it's just a subjective line there. What about in other areas, okay? How do we define a good politician? A dead politician is <laughs> 
we, we might think, uh, some people might think, oh, FDR was a good, a good president, and other people think, no, he, he got us on the road to ruin. Other people may say, oh, George W. Bush was a good president, and other people are going, no, you've got to be kidding me that you would think that way. Some people might say, you know, Barack Obama is a good president, and others are going, no, you've you got to be out of your mind. Okay, so it is subjective to some degree how we rate someone as good as a politician, unless we take your advice and just kill them. Dead one. Okay. How about an athlete? Athletes are a little bit easier, okay, because there is an objective measure to a good athlete. How many home runs did he hit? How many receptions did he make? How many tournaments did he win? How many gold medals did he win? Things like that. That is an objective measure of what is good. But that doesn't speak to the athlete's character at all. Because somebody who wins a lot of gold medals might not be the guy you want your daughters to bring home on a date. Okay? What about... Oh, are there any other things? Um, uh, what did I hit? I hit politicians and athletes. Anybody else you want to pick on? Uh, that, that's plain. Okay. <laughs> preachers. <laughs> no, we're not going to preachers. <laughs> Well, how would you define a good preacher? Okay? Now, let me define a good preacher for you. Somebody who starts here and ends here, and everything in between jives with what's in here. Now, we like to think that a preacher would not put us to sleep, but frankly, some days we do put you to sleep. Okay? But in other days, uh, we, we try to hit you both here and here. Okay, so that you are informed and you are moved, and when you leave, you make application of the Word of God. Uh, there are some days where we hit here, and we hit here, and it's way over your head, or are you preaching to the third grade? Because this is really simple. So, you know, talk to Derwood. He'll find a good preacher for you, okay? God says in Proverbs 31, "'Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised.'" He is defining what a good woman is for us. The Word of God is according to His standard, not according to the standard of the world. So as an example, we need to make sure that we have a biblical view of what is good in all things. So this is a, a, an overview of the versatility, so to speak, of the word good. It's used noun, adjective, adverb. It's uh, the root of the word goodness. Uh, it always, almost always suggests something that is desirable, desirable, commendable, reliable, welcome, enjoyable, all those types of things. Now, in the Greek, the word is that, that we, or is used in, in Galatians is agothusene, which comes from the root of agathos, which is where we get the name agatha from. Okay, so agatha means goodness. Okay, uh, and it sounds a lot like, not, not just sounds to our ears, but, but in our understanding, a lot like the word we looked at previously, kindness. And how do you separate kindness from goodness? Or is this just a reiteration of the same concept? Remember, kindness had to be lived out. Well, uh, it wasn't enough just to think kind thoughts about someone else. You had to act on upon it. That's why we went to David and his interaction with Mephibosheth. Who is there from the house of Jonathan, that I may show kindness to. And he went and he found him. Well, in the same way, good indicates a zealous activity, a great desire and application of that desire to do good. It's not enough just to kind of 
zap somebody with good thoughts, you have to treat them good. You have to demonstrate goodness to them. The Greek word indicates an excellent character involved in goodness. Okay, So it is an excellent character from which you demonstrate in action. Now, goodness is not always niceness. It is not always happiness. Because sometimes what is good for us is not always pleasant for us. Okay? I think of uh, all the years when I was growing up before they had oral penicillin. Okay? So to, if you were sick enough, if you had a strep throat, if you had a sinus infection and went to the doctor, you got penicillin the old-fashioned way. Okay? Now, count back from 100, Randy. I can remember that. And they'd stick that needle in me, but it was for my own good, wasn't it? It was going to make me better. But it was painful. And oftentimes, goodness in our life can be painful because it achieves a certain end, but I don't want to go to that end. But for my own good, the Lord works in my life to get me to that end because He is the one, as we see, who is who defines goodness. And I may not think that is good for me, but yet he wants me there, and he's going to get me there, even if he has to wallop me several times in the process. But that's where I need to be. Now, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus in Matthew 19, and he says what? Good teacher, what must I do to gain eternal life? And Jesus' response to him is, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? Well, we have to understand, as we'll look at in just a second, that he was using it in a polite title. So good teacher um, would, would be just a, a title of respect for him. He didn't really grasp what the word good meant as he addressed the Son of God. Now, uh, goodness and, and living it out demands that our motives be right. It demands that it flow from a heart that has been changed. That's why it's listed in the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? It is part of every Christian life, whether we like to admit it or not. I mean, we've dealt with things like patience, and we know, uh, yeah, I have trouble with patience. And, and I don't know if, if, if it has affected you in this fashion as we've studied the fruit of the Spirit, but, but I, I, I've been made keenly aware as I read these things of my own shortcomings and my own lack of patience or my own lack of kindness and, and my own lack of, uh, of these other fruits and how, you know, if I'm really going to demonstrate these things, I really got to work on them and I have to focus on them. And it's not easy because, again, how do you be more patient? How do you be kinder? You have to demonstrate those things. You have to work at them. How do I demonstrate goodness? I have to demonstrate it. But first and foremost, it has to flow from a heart that has been changed by Christ. Okay, you notice he does not direct these comments to non-believers. These are directed towards believers. So true goodness flows from a heart that has been changed by our Heavenly Father. Now, you can be good, and you can be really good, but not be perfect. Now, you think, well, nobody's perfect. Yeah, but, but so often we set the bar so high. And we say, you know, we're ready to chop somebody down if they're not perfect. Well, he's, yeah, he's done so well except for, for this. 
we can look, obviously, I mean, the, the, the perfect example is David's life, okay? He was a good guy, a guy, what, after God's own heart. He had a couple moral failures, a couple ethical issues, you know, he was a murderer and an adulterer and a liar, and, uh, but yet, what did he do? After each of those sins, his heart was, was broken. And he throws himself on the mercy of the Lord, realizing that. Now, now it just shows us that, that David, who was a guy who desired the things of the Lord, got so caught up in his own agenda and his own focus that he put the Lord's focus and the Lord's agenda to the side and pursued sin. And at what? After the sin with Bathsheba, it was an entire year before the, 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 the prophet comes to him and it confronts him with this sin. And what did David do for that entire year with his sin? He probably just pushed it down. He didn't want to think about it. He was going to hide it. Maybe God won't see it. It'll never come to light. And when this prophet comes to him and says, you're the man who has done this, David confesses it to the Lord. So you can still be good without being perfect. There'll be a day when we're perfect, but when we're here on this earth, it'll be a struggle. Now, Jesus' response to the rich young ruler is why do you call me good? Because who alone is good? That's the Lord. The Lord alone is good. No one is good but him. So he says, and then it said, if you want to enter eternal life, keep the commandments. And, and you know the rest of the story there. But he says, only God is good. So that is in the absolute sense. Because God is good is a reflection of his character it is part of his nature. It is an attribute of our Heavenly Father goodness. It is just part of who he is and cannot be separated from him. Now, Christians can do good works. In fact, we were created for that, Ephesians chapter 2. Everything created by God is good. God pronounces things good. He said, let there be light. And when he saw it, he said, this is good. This is very good. But Jesus declares that God alone is good. God alone is good. So let's look at God's goodness for just a second. Turn over to Exodus chapter 33. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Nehemiah chapter 9 talks about God's great goodness. In Psalm 23, David says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So in a sense, he looks forward to understanding more and more of the goodness of our Heavenly Father. And in Psalm 27, it, it's, David expresses himself to this point. He says, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord. He said, my heart so longed for it, I would almost, almost gave out in longing to see the goodness of our Heavenly Father. God describes himself in Exodus 34 as abounding in goodness. He's the source of all that can truly be called good. He does not just have it. He does not just do it. He abounds in it. It is part of his nature and part of his character. Exodus 33, verse 18. We'll go back to 17. And the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, show me your glory. So what does God show him? Look at verse 19. I myself will make all my goodness 
pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. So Moses asked for his, to show his glory. He says, I'm going to show you my goodness. I'm going to make you understand my name. Goodness and my name. Only God's goodness is absolute. All other things rated for goodness or how you might describe goodness is measured against God's absolute standard. Are you good enough to get to heaven? Well, rated against God's absolute standard, no, you are not good enough. That's why we have this wonderful thing called grace. So God is the source of all goodness, and man can only truly do good when we serve the will of the one who is good. Now, are you saying that helping somebody across the street is not a good deed? That's a good deed. The question is, what was the motivation? The question is, is it done for God's glory? Okay, remember Paul talks about when we get to heaven, here's the believer, and the believer has um, either things of gold, silver, and precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. There are the works done for God's glory, the gold, silver, and precious stones, the wood, hay, and stubble, those things done for man's glory. Okay? So the Lord wants us to do the things for His glory. Those things done for His glory are those things which He defines as good and pleasing to Him, that serve, and, that serve His purposes and further His will. So God is the source of all goodness. God's Word calls us to look at His law several times. His law is mentioned as being good. And in fact, it is the law of God that shows us what is good and what is bad, what is wrong and what is right. Without the law, we have no idea of how we should behave, of how we should live in accordance with God's Word. Let's look at Matthew chapter 7. All right, if I'm not good, but I want to do good, and God is good, so I want to do the things that God says is, are good, how is it that I should move forward with this? Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 7. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened. For everyone who asks, receives, and he who seeks, finds, and to him who knocks, it shall be opened. Or what man is there among you when his son shall ask him for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he shall ask for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? And if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? So he's... He's making a distinction here between the gifts that we give, that we qualify as good, and the gifts that the Lord gives to us that flow from His very character and from His very nature. How much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask Him? Therefore, however, you want people to treat you, so treat them, for this is the law and the prophets." Ephesians chapter 5 takes this and runs with it. Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, takes it even further and gives us a, a deeper application of what the fruit of the Spirit looks like in our lives. Okay, one more passage for us. Amos 
chapter 7. Amos chapter 7. Amos is after Joel. Joel's after Hosea. Amos is right before Obadiah. Obadiah is before Jonah. The, the minor prophets are tough to find, okay? How many of you were reading the minor prophets last week? Oh, oh, oh fantastic, okay. <laughs> and, and, and I know this is Bill's favorite book, Amos. There are probably five lines of good news in this book. The rest is bad, okay? The rest is bad. Amos chapter 7. Verse 7. And while you're there, I'll pull this out. Okay? What is that? A plumb line. How many of you have a plumb line? Okay, everybody but Michael is, and Brian, the engineer and the architect, is, is like over 55 who put their hands up. Okay, and you, I got this from my dad. Okay, how many of you used a plumb line last year? Oh, oh a couple. Okay, a couple. Now, the, the question is, well, what that's for? What, what, have, what is this? A straight line, okay? So everything is measured off of a straight line. So when you put a plumb line down, gravity and the weight take it down, and there you have formed a straight line. So everything is measured against the straight line. Okay? Now, we go to Amos chapter 7, verse 7. Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord was standing by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, what do you see, Amos? I said, I see a plumb line. And the Lord said, Behold, I am about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The Lord brings a plumb line, and it's in a sense a plumb line of holiness or goodness or a standard upon which all behavior is to be based. Their very lives are to be based on this plumb line. And the Lord is, just go ahead and read the rest of Amos this week. And see, the Lord just wallops them because their lives have no, they don't stand up against the plumb line, okay? Here is a straight line. Their lives are crooked, okay? Well, they're worshiping other gods. They're, they're, they've synchronized the worship of our Heavenly Father with the pagan gods of others. Um, you know, you can look at chapter 4 and, and, and see what, what the judgment will be upon them because their lives do not match the standard that God has set for them. That is the issue here. It's a standard against God's law. It's a standard against what God says. This is the obedience. This is the life I expect from my people. A life of goodness. And here's the life that you live. Here's the life, nice and straight, and here's your life. So the character of the Christian should be without deceit. Nothing should be hidden in our life. Part of goodness is openness and transparency. It is to be lived out in front of everybody. You can't hide your goodness, like hiding a light under a bushel, the same type of thing. You can't hide your light. You can't hide your goodness. It should be lived out. It should be plain in your life. Okay, let's pick one individual in Scripture who was good. Genesis 37. 
Genesis 37. Uh, you know, last, last time in kindness, we, we looked at one example. I wanted to pick out one example today, and we'll just, just touch over this. We all know this story. It's the life of Joseph, and, and, the, and the, the big events in the life of Joseph reflect, his actions reflect goodness. They don't reflect his immediate context. Therefore, they reflect the goodness that comes from his relationship with their Heavenly Father. Now, Joseph was, was obviously gifted. He was kind of a bratty teenager to his brothers and kind of showed off uh, that he was his father's favorite. So you, we know the story. What happens? Uh, 37 verse 12. Uh, oh, I get in the right book. Genesis 37. Then his brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said, I will go. Then he said to them, Go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock, and bring word back to me. So he sent him with the, from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, What are you looking for? He said, I'm looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have moved from here, for I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. When, he saw, when they saw him from a distance and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Remember, he had given a dream and said, oh yeah, all your sheaths are going to bow down to me. Um, and, and so he kind of, it wasn't just, he didn't just interpret this dream but he was really working his power, his position of power over his brothers because he knew that his brothers were going to have to bow down to him. Now then, come, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And we will say, a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands. Let us not take his life. So Reuben saved him. They, you know the story. They sold him off into slavery. So off he goes on the caravan. They get rid of Joseph. And he ends up in whose house? Potiphar's house. Okay, and Potiphar makes him head over everything of his house. And flip over a couple pages to chapter 39. And there's only one, I mean, I mean there's only one thing that Joseph does not have authority over in Potiphar's house, and that is Potiphar's wife. Verse 10 of chapter 39. And it came about as she spoke to Joseph day after day that he did not listen to her lie, did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Now it happened one day that now, now this is a demonstration. I mean, what power does what? It corrupts absolute power, corrupts absolutely. Who said that? Anybody know? I, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Well, Joseph has a lot of power. He's got a lot of authority, but there's just one thing he cannot involve himself with, and that's Potiphar's wife. But she's got the hots for him for some reason. Now, it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household were there inside. She caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. And he basically ran away, left his garment, fled outside. She had been scorned, so naturally she goes to Potiphar and says, this slave whom you brought into this house did this to me. Joseph goes to jail. 
Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. Now, what does Joseph do when he's in jail? Does he moan and complain and become bitter? No, the, the things of the Lord show in his life and the circumstances that they show in do not matter. The circumstances are not shaping Joseph's actions. It is coming from an inward change in his life. That is the way and that is the place that goodness comes from. It does not come from outside of us. It comes from inside when the, with the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Lord. How can you show goodness when you've been sold into slavery? How can you show goodness when you've been falsely accused? How can you show goodness when you've been thrown into jail? How can you show goodness when you've been forgotten by the people who promised to say, when I get out, I'll come back and make sure you get out too? Only because of the presence of the Lord. Goodness is something that we have to devote ourselves to. It is here. It is from the Lord, but you have to cultivate it. You have to work on it. It's like patience. You just don't get it. You have to be patient. You have to work about it. And goodness is a zealous activity that we have to involve ourselves in as believers. It is a fruit that must be demonstrated in our lives. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord because our Heavenly Father is good. And he calls us the same type of life. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you, you call us to this life. Now, we are recipients of your grace. We know our lives have been changed. We know we, we have no business in your presence, but yet you have drawn us here. You have given us new life. And now you call us to live these things out. You call us to be different than the world around us. You call us to not be shaped by our surroundings, by, by whether we've been treated justly or not. You tell us to, to demonstrate goodness no matter what the circumstance. Lord, these are hard things, and we can't do them by ourselves. It has to come from you but you are the source of all goodness. Not only do you call us to live this way, you give us the goodness to live that way. Sometimes we know as we look at goodness can be hard because things that are good for us are sometimes difficult to get to, sometimes difficult to shape our personality and, and, and our expectations to. The Lord you have empowered us and called us to a new life in Christ, a life that demonstrates the fruit of the Spirit. We pray this, that this week we would be mindful how we can demonstrate goodness and to do so with zealousness and to do so outside of the influences of our immediate surroundings and our culture, that we might stand as a light for the things of Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen.